Just before Dr. Kendall comes to bring us the Word of God, I'll be reading the portion of Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Kings 5, verses 5 through 14. I'm reading from the NIV version. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill, can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to cure him of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went to his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he said, surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpa, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in there and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servant went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God told him, and his flesh was restored, and he became clean like that of a young boy. Let's welcome our tea this morning. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. The story of Naaman being healed of leprosy is one of the most beautiful and amazing stories in the whole Bible. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to pause and thank you for the life, the ministry of Billy Graham. What you did through him is incalculable. We thank you for him. I pray for his son, Franklin, who will have his father's mantle. I pray for the mission coming up later this year in Lancashire, that it will be a triumph that those who are opposing it and doing everything they can to stop it will be defeated. Amen. And this bring you great honor and glory. Amen. I pray now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. I pray that I will be very, very clear and that this will bring great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
You may recall that it was a, a nameless little Israeli girl, a servant, who said to her mistress, if only my master could get to Samaria, the prophet of Samaria would heal him of his leprosy. Well, when Naaman heard this, it made sense to him. He thought, what have I got to lose? And he was a close friend of the king. We're talking about a general now. In the Syrian army, General Naaman asked the king, do you have any objection if I go to Israel to get healed of my leprosy? And the king said, go. And so the king wrote a letter to the king of Israel. Naaman takes it with him and hand delivers it to the king. Now you need to know we're talking about a general. Do you have any idea the stature of a general? Now I think the pecking order in the military when he comes to an officer, there's the second lieutenant, you some of it would say lieutenant, I've never in my life been able to figure out how you get lieutenant out of lieutenant, but uh, uh, you have other problems as well. Uh, <laughs> there is the first lieutenant, captain, major, lieutenant colonel, full colonel, and then general. General, that's as high as it gets. And so, the general now has leprosy. Have you any idea what the stigma was of having leprosy? It is today, but then even worse if that's possible. For example, listen to what the Mosaic law says about a person with leprosy. Leviticus chapter 13 verse 45. A person with leprosy uh, must wear torn clothes let his hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of his face, and get this, and cry out wherever he goes, unclean, unclean. Wherever he goes, he's got to do that. As long as he has this, he remains unclean, he must live alone, he must live outside the camp. Now, Naaman was a Syrian general, so he doesn't have, he's not an Israeli citizen, so he's going to come in and out, so he doesn't have to do that. But nonetheless, the stigma of a general having this. Now, just to illustrate how high a general is, think what it means to be a colonel. The reason I'm telling you that is that uh, I've got some information for you today. Uh, that I'm hoping will, how shall I say this, get me a little bit of respect in this place. <laughs> Did you know that I am a colonel? A full colonel. That's right. How many of you know that this past week, panic set in when Kentucky Fried Chicken <laughs> ran out of chickens? It was the first thing on BBC News. It was the front page of the Times. I had no idea that our chicken, you see, I'm a Kentuckian, <laughs> meant so much. 
In fact, it's come out. I was surprised. 43% of Brits love, eat regularly, at, some, at least at some time or another, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Now, I can tell you something you probably don't know. I know how it started. A man by the name of Harlan Sanders, who was a nobody, his 65th birthday, has his first Social Security check. And he uses it to start a little restaurant in a town near Louisville, Kentucky. And his fried chicken is so good that they come back more and more until finally he decides to have another restaurant. And then a third, then a fourth. And would you believe it spread all over Kentucky and then some clever enterpriser said, we'll make it greater. It became nationwide. Kentucky Fried Chicken, the governor of the state of Kentucky, made him a colonel. There is, in Kentucky, a high status. It's called Kentucky Colonel. Now, when KFC came to Britain, they didn't tell you how he became colonel. They just says, Colonel Sanders. And you see, Brits were impressed with that. I think that helped a lot. They didn't know what kind of colonel it was. Well, here's the news. About 25 years ago, some people in Ashland, Kentucky, where I'm from, from petitioned the governor of Kentucky. And you are looking at a Kentucky colonel. Thank you. It's about time. I just, good, good, well done. And don't you forget it. You're not even an officer. But I'm a full colonel. In fact, the, when I was at Westminster Chapel, I had it framed on the wall. Uh, Sandy Miller from Holy Trinity Brompton, when he came over to see me, you know, when he saw that, he calls me Colonel Kendall now. So I just thought, if you knew that, I'd get some respect around here. <laughs> but Naaman was a general, and that is as high as it gets. Now, there are some things that I want us to see with regard to wisdom. First, carnal wisdom. There's such a thing as carnal wisdom. In James chapter 3, uh, James talks about wisdom that's from below. Uh, wisdom in an inverted commas. Uh, there's the wisdom from above, but the wisdom from below, there can be a demonic kind of wisdom. And uh, so what we have here in this story is carnal wisdom because it was based upon false assumptions. And it was this. Naaman assumed that he would have to pay for his healing. And so we read in our scripture that Scott just read, so Naaman took with him the following, 10 talents of silver, that's probably 70, 750 pounds of silver, 6,000 shekels, that's 150 pounds of gold, 10 sets of clothing. Now, probably a hundred horses accompanying him to protect the money. And it was an entourage. Naaman is probably in a chariot. 
And so you imagine this entourage, a hundred soldiers and a general, and they come to the king, and Naaman gives a letter from the king of Syria to the king of Israel. And the letter simply says, would you cure Naaman of leprosy? Now, you see, it wasn't worded very carefully because it looked like that Naaman was expecting the king of Israel to heal Naaman. And the king of Israel panicked. In fact, he goes berserk. He said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? Oh, he's trying to pick a quarrel. Not a very good start. But, you know, this is just an example of how the devil tries to get involved in something that God is in. I've noticed that over the years in my own ministry, and if you will forgive me for what sounds like name dropping, uh, Billy Graham taught me something. Uh, we had the privilege of having Billy Graham preach for us in 1984. And Billy uh, came to the chapel a couple of days early, and I actually had an hour and 45 minutes with him. But he had a nosebleed. And it was so bad that he had to go from me to the hospital uh, because of his nosebleed. And the, the result was that uh, word got out that Billy Graham was in hospital, and they thought that he wasn't going to be able to come to Westminster Chapel. And uh, but despite that, the place was packed from top to bottom, uh, and, and uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful evening. But Billy said something to me in that hour and 45 minutes that was very interesting. He said, in every crusade that we've ever had, ever, there is always a, an attack of the devil right at the beginning. And he said, sometimes it will be members of the team falling out with each other or something. He said, always. And this was the beginning of what was called Mission England. We actually launched Mission England uh, from Westminster Chapel. And Billy was seeing his nosebleed as an example of how the devil was trying to get in right at the beginning of Mission England. Well, the point I'm making here is uh, Naaman, a leper, is now going to Israel, and the way the letter is worded is not very right because it looks like Naaman is expecting the king of Israel to heal him. The letter should have said, I want you to send him to the prophet and so that he can be healed of leprosy. Well, uh, what happened was they find out Elisha heard about the king of Israel tearing his robes and he sent this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. And so now... Uh, the situation is diffused, and Naaman uh, goes to the house of Elisha. Picture this. Suppose someone comes to your house. There's a chariot, a hundred horses, and you would surely look out and say, who is this? 
And the most natural thing to do, being a Brit, you would invite them in, give them a cup of tea, and just be flattered that they would come. But it turns out that Elisha wasn't an Englishman. And he didn't even go out to meet Elisha. You would have thought Elisha would be so overwhelmed that a general would come to his house. I wonder how many ministers today, if they had some kind of entourage, or you say uh, a very famous person, wealthy person, movie star, royalty, I think most ministers today would, oh, this is wonderful. Oh, please bring them in. Elisha doesn't even go out. In fact, do you know what he does? He sends a messenger to Naaman and tells him what to do. And so Naaman went with his horses and chariots, stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. Well, that did not impress Naaman. We're talking about a general. He's used to being respected. And he thought there would be a bit of pomp and ceremony. A general has come. Elisha should be flattered. <laughs> not at all. He just sends a messenger and doesn't even say anything. Not impressed with all the gold. But you see, Naaman is sure that he has to pay for his healing. Elisha doesn't even invite him. Uh, he sends a messenger to Naaman. And so the truth is, uh, people should know, you're not going to get to meet directly uh, with someone unless you know in advance that's the way it's going to be. Well, Elisha was not royal. Uh, I say that because during my 25 years at Westminster Chapel, there were occasions when it would be right for me to write a letter to Her Majesty the Queen. And I think six, seven times. Uh, and she always replied, but never directly. It would always start out, Dear Dr. Kendall, I am commanded by Her Majesty the Queen to thank you for your letter. And la di da di da Never actually got a letter directly from her. Well, now that is the way Naaman's being treated. And he doesn't like this one bit. And so rejecting Elisha's manner of ministry. This is what was going on. You see, what we have here, carnal wisdom. What is that? Carnal wisdom. That you have to pay for something like this. You see, the natural man thinks that you have to buy your way. Uh, you get what you pay for. And uh, it's hard for many of us to make the transition from the level of nature to the level of the spirit. Well, uh, typical of carnal wisdom, then Naaman loses his temper and leaves in a rage. You see, Naaman, the general, assumed three things. Number one, he said, I thought he would surely come out to meet me. Wrong. Two, I thought he would call on the name of the Lord his God. Well, 
that had already been dealt with. Third, he said, I thought Elisha would come and wave his hand over the spot where my leprosy is. That's what he thought. You see, it's interesting how if we assume some act of God, some move of the Holy Spirit, we tend to fantasize what it will be like. Uh, Some of you know I've written a book called Prepare Your Heart for the Midnight Cry. Now, it's my view that the next thing to happen on God's calendar is not the second coming, but the awakening of the church prior to the second coming. And I have asked, just what will it be like? Which will come first? How will we know it's there? And Naaman was sure this is what's going to happen. Uh, A couple friends of mine who are prophetic lately have been saying, and it's encouraging to me, the fear of God is coming back to the church. The fear of God is coming back to the church. Then I ask, what will cause that? Who knows? One prophetic man who we think is going to be here later this uh, spring uh, said that it's coming. He says, there's no use to plan for it, no use to get ready for it. There's nothing you can do. It's going to come without notice. It's coming, and part of it will be a restoration of the fear of God. Well, the thing is, we can't help but wonder. Uh, But God often shows up in a way we would never expect. Uh, I have preached in Wales many times. And even though it happened well over 100 years ago, the Welsh Revival... There are people in Wales who think, I can't blame them at all, but they believe that when revival comes, they will know it. Because they know what happened in 1904 and 1905. A wave of the Spirit, 25,000, maybe maybe 50,000 converted. The pubs closed down. Jails emptied. It was amazing. And so those in Wales praying for revival, they think that is the way it will happen. But you see, God does not always come the same way. This is why when at Westminster Chapel, we we sent out prayer cards. 300 people signed them to pray every day uh, for true revival. And we prayed for the manifestation of God's glory along with an ever-increasing openness in us to the way God may choose to manifest His glory. Because we know He doesn't always do it the same way. Well, now, it's one thing that Elisha doesn't come out to meet Naaman, but what really gets his goat, he says, go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. Well, that made him all the more angry. What you have here, I would call it challenged wisdom uh, and also concealed wisdom. Here's what's going on. Concealed wisdom, what is that? That's the wisdom of the Holy Spirit that is never understood at first. Concealed wisdom. God's in it, but it makes no sense at the time. 
And that's what you have here. Concealed wisdom. Here's what you do. You go to the River Jordan, go into the water, dip seven times. <laughs> How could this work? And so he challenges, he challenges this. Uh, and uh, the challenge is, uh, why should I have to go to the River Jordan? Well, now, there's another interesting thing. Sometimes God will anoint a particular area. And people who are not in that area, maybe they're jealous or want some excuse not to have to go to that. Uh, and they say, I don't have to go there. I can talk to God anywhere. It's like you run into people, don't you? Why do I need to go to church? I can read the Bible at home. I can pray at home. But what they don't realize is that God has given a special anointing to the church. He wants you to be here. You need the ministry of the word. You need a church that you support. And you need the fellowship of God's people. Well, uh, Elisha, here's this, this, this news. Uh, and uh, says to the king, uh, send him to me. I will show him what to do. And uh, by doing that, he comes, does, uh, Naaman comes, and uh, is told what you to do is to go to the river Jordan. Do you remember some years ago what was called the Toronto Blessing? When God moved in a little airport vineyard church that nobody ever heard of in Toronto, Canada. And uh, within weeks, they were coming from all over the world to that church to get prayed for. And when they got to that church, it turned out amazing things happened. Amazing things. But the cynics always said, why do I need to go to Toronto? I can stay where I am. God can meet me here. And that is true. But not in the way you would get blessed. You would get blessed if you did go to Toronto. You see, the people that did this were earnest. They wanted God more than anything in the world. And some had to swallow their pride. I know a famous church in New York City where the pastor, very famous, heard about the Toronto blessing, was against it. You would have thought this church would be for it. And here's why. This church... They were a part of a movement of the Spirit. But it's interesting. The greatest enemy to what God is doing now is usually from those from what God was doing yesterday. And so they said, we are the ones. And now the church in Toronto uh, seems to be upstaging the church in New York. So the pastor in New York told all the members, don't go to Toronto. Well, there was one member, uh, not very famous at the, at the time. Her name is Heidi Baker. So she decides to go anyway and to get prayed for. Nobody knowing who she is. She wasn't known then. And she gets prayed for, falls out, out on the floor for about four hours in those four hours, God meets with her, gives her visions, 
and the church in New York quit supporting her. She was a missionary in Mozambique. She went back to Mozambique without the support of her church. She has now founded 13,000 churches in Mozambique. I've been there. I'm going back uh, later this year, but there's more. And then about 15 years ago, she became very ill. And no doctor knew what it was. And she's in a hospital in South Africa, I think Johannesburg, the top hospital there. And I happen to be on a mailing list. And I get letters every day or two. Pray for Heidi. It's not looking good. Pray for Heidi. She has maybe a week to live. And another one, she may be dead in two days if God doesn't step in. And Heidi uh, was aware that people prayed for her, but she could, they wouldn't let her out. She said, we're not letting you out. She came up with an idea. She said to her physician, I'm going to get a consultant in Toronto. Well, okay, if you're going to go to Toronto and get help there, yes, there's a specialist in Toronto. Her husband, Roland, helps her to get out of bed, carries her to the plane. They fly to Toronto. Roland carries her off the plane. How do I know this? Heidi told me then carries her to the Toronto church, takes her in, and walks her to the pulpit, and the lectern is just about like this one. I've been there. And Heidi holds on to the lectern when all of a sudden she's instantly healed. She leaves the platform, runs around the church three times, and has been healed ever since. Now, couldn't God have done it in Johannesburg? He could. But sometimes he does this. He just wants to see if people want God so much that they're willing to swallow their pride. My wife Louise went to Toronto. She got prayed for. She's on the floor. And a lady comes over to her that she didn't know and hasn't met since. We don't know who it is. And prophesies to Louise and says, I can see you as a little girl when you're seven years old. You're wearing a, a yellow dress. And you are deeply hurt. And Louise bursts into tears and says, oh, I remember that yellow dress and I remember the trauma and the lady just said well God wants you to know he saw you then and he was with you then as he is now. Now a word like that nobody could come up with. That's the kind of thing that was going on in Toronto. Naturally I'd love to think that God would do it here. We pray for that but God is sovereign. He said I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And so, challenged wisdom. 
Naaman says, this doesn't make sense. Why do I have to go to the river Jordan? He said, are there not better rivers in Damascus, the Abana, the Farpar, and there are clearer waters than the waters of Jordan? Why can't I go there and be cleansed? And he goes off in a huff, and it would be that he would go right back to Syria without getting healed. But then, here's something that happened. It was so beautiful that Naaman had a servant. And the servant shows what I would call calming wisdom. Calming wisdom. There's nothing like a word fitly spoken when everybody is charged up and shouting at each other and there's no way forward. Uh, you have this in times in the New Testament. You may recall that the Christians uh, were going to be killed by the Sanhedrin had voted to kill Christians. And that a man by the name of Gamaliel stood up and said, be careful, you might be fighting against God because if it's of God, you're not going to overthrow it. And if it's not of God, it will come to nothing. And Gamaliel's word calmed everybody. Or you have it in Acts chapter 19 where people were going to kill Paul. I mean, they were pulling his body apart and they were rioting. And the city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Men of emphasis, uh, here's the thing. There are courts. There's a way that these people can be tried. There's a legal assembly. If, if as it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of the days of events, he, then he simply dismissed the assembly and it calmed everybody down. There's nothing like a word of wisdom that is calming. Well, who do you suppose would have this kind of calming wisdom? It was none other than the servant of Naaman. The general had a servant. Now this servant would know his place. But he did something very daring. It was kind of like the servant girl in, uh, uh, some, uh, sorry, in Syria. The servant girl in Syria says to her master, if only you could get to Samaria and get healed. Now it's a servant. How interesting. An unknown person in Syria starts it going. An unknown servant has the ability and the courage to speak to the general. Interesting how God can use people like that. And the wisdom that was given was like this. The servant went to him and said, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? What great thing might he have done? Well, all that gold. What if the prophet Elisha said, build a hospital, build an orphanage? That would have been a great thing. You would have done it. You would have done it. But he hasn't asked for you to do any great thing. He said, how much more when he tells you Wash and be cleansed. And the servant diffused. Naaman. 
a week or two ago, I urged you, the first time in my life from a pulpit, I've ever said you ought to see, uh, go to the cinema. Uh, the, the movie, Darkest Hour, about Winston Churchill. Uh, there's a part in the movie where Churchill stood totally, absolutely alone. All the members of parliament, everybody, they were against what Churchill wanted to do. They all said, make a deal with Hitler and save us all. And Churchill alone wasn't getting any help from the sophisticated people that are supposed to give you good wisdom. And one day, he slipped away from those guarding him, went down into the underground, and got on a tube. And, of course, everybody on the tube was shocked to see Churchill. But he talked to them and says, I'd like to know, what do you think we should do? And they all said, don't give in. Fight Hitler. Fight to the end. Don't give in. Churchill said, that's just what I wanted to hear. He goes back and stands alone. He took advice from ordinary people. It's interesting. People in high places, they're supposed to have people around them to give them wisdom. They're often just educated, wealthy, well-connected. Often they don't get good advice. Naaman could have been like that but listened to his servant and said, look, if Elisha had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, go into the river Jordan and be cleansed. And what it was, was convincing wisdom. You know, calming wisdom leads to being convinced. And that's what the gospel does. Peace with God and the peace of God. But then there is more. I call it confirmed wisdom. What Naaman decided to do was to throw his reputation to the wind, not worry about those hundred soldiers watching him. He does a very brave thing, but he feels like a fool he goes to the River Jordan. I think I know where it was. The River Jordan, at the beginning from the Sea of Galilee, as it empties into the Jordan River that goes down to the Dead Sea, the water near the Sea of Galilee is about three to four feet deep, depending on the uh, time of the year and so forth. And I've been there. I've baptized people there. And it's almost certainly very close to the very same spot. And so Naaman now goes into the water. We're not told if he undresses, if he goes in underwear, or just has his uniform. We don't know. Whatever it was, he must have felt like a fool. And so here he is standing in the Jordan, everybody watching him. He dips himself comes out, looks at his hands, same, looks at the spot, no change. This is dumb, he says to himself. Why should I do this? The servant says, they said seven times. <laughs> he goes down again and comes up. No change. 
He does it again. He goes down again three times. He felt so stupid. Uh, we have a song back in Nashville that we sing. Uh, I don't know if you know about it over here. It's the most requested song in hospitals. It goes like this. One day at a time, sweet Jesus, that's all I'm asking of you. Where have you been? To Nashville? How did you find that out? <laughs> well, I think Naaman could have sung, One dip at a time, sweet Jesus. It goes down again. The fourth time. Same. Fifth time. Same. This is so ridiculous. He said seven, don't leave yet. Six times. No change. Well, by now there ought to be some change. We're told, so he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times. As the man of God had told him. Listen to this. His flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy after the seventh time. You see, God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He did it. I've got to close. Do you know what is the greatest example of concealed wisdom? The greatest example in all history? 2,000 years ago, on Good Friday, there's Jesus of Nazareth hanging on the cross, the blood dripping from his hands, his feet, his head. If you had been there, you would not have known that this was wisdom concealed. No hint that God was at the bottom of it. You could not have known that the blood that was dripping satisfied the justice of God. You could not have known that that blood will wash away all your sins. That blood will make you clean. And so to this day, those who transfer the trust that they had in their good works to what Jesus did on the cross are given a free pardon and eternal life. You see, it's God's strange wisdom. Strange wisdom. Just to confound the wise. And I wonder if there's someone here. You know that you're lost. You've missed it. You've been almost as pompous as a general or maybe even as a full colonel. You need somebody to give you some good advice. What you need is to throw your reputation to the wind and just honor God. Would you be willing to pray this prayer wherever you are right now? Don't need to say it out loud. Just say it in your heart. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart. As best as I know how, I give you my life.